Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Nine on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad the guys were here for Hour One. This hour, John and Pam Bloom are here. Deep Thinker Thursday. Always something I look forward to, as I know you do as well. I've often said it's like doing church, and that's what's going to be. We're going to talk about Advent season, and we're going to hear some spectacular stories today. You're going to love this hour. And if you don't have time to listen to the full hour, I'm pretty much going to guarantee you're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. This is going to be a wonderful hour. So we're going to take just 60 seconds to uh, set things up, and then we're going to go straight ahead. Back in 60 seconds. This is Max Locato. Some of the saddest words on earth are, we don't have room for you. Jesus knew the sound of those words. He was still in Mary's womb when the innkeeper said, we don't have room for you. And when he hung on the cross, wasn't the message one of utter rejection? We don't have room for you in this world. Today, Jesus is given the same treatment. He goes from heart to heart, asking if he might enter. Every so often, he's welcomed. Someone throws open the door of his or her heart and invites him to stay. And to that person, Jesus gives this great promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. We make room for him in our hearts. And Jesus makes room for us in his house. In this day of Advent, this is Max Lucado. Back to the show. Awfully glad to have John and Pam Bloom here with me in the studio. John serves as author and board chair and co-founder of Desiring God. He's authored three books, Not by Sight, Things Not Seen, and Don't Follow Your Heart. And his wife Pam is here. They have five kids and they live here in the Twin Cities, so that makes it possible for them to come into the studio, which makes me so happy. Nice to see you both. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks. So we're going to do some storytelling today, which I can't wait for. Yeah, so... um We're going to read actually three different pieces that I have written over the years. Um, Two of them, the first one and the third one, will be stories themselves. um, And the the middle one will be more of a meditation. Um, And all of them have a common theme, which is uh, ways in which we... The places that, that we encounter God most powerfully... Um, are often in the most unexpected and painful places, not necessarily the places that we plan on or would like to. Um, And so all three meditations here are going to be focusing on, they're they're all Christmas themed and they're all uh, to help us 
know that, that God meets us in the very tender, painful places, often the unexpected places most powerfully. This is going to be great. And if I can just let my inner voice talk for a minute, I love my job. I love this show. All right, let's get started. <laughs> I've been looking forward to coming and reading this article that John wrote, especially today and this week of all the the busy prep that we have for Christmas. I was making rye bread this morning. I've been navigating the malls, delivering gifts, <laughs> and I'm ready to sit down and and think on these things. So join me um, in this prepare him room segment and use your imagination when there's a going back in time. Deep breath. The season of Advent is here again. Advent. A season so full of tradition, so full of memory, so full of legend, and a season so full, often overfull, bustling and bursting with exhausting activity of keeping traditions, creating memories, and recalling legends. And during Advent, Luke comes to us as a kind of holy ghost of Christmas past, bidding us to lay aside for a moment our Christmas lists, to leave the half-trimmed tree, to pause the holiday movie, dry our hands from cooking and washing cookie pans, and follow him. And as we do, all we see begins to swirl into an unfamiliar darkness. Suddenly, we find ourselves standing in what we somehow know as a small, ancient Palestinian village on an unusually starry night. The shapes and shadows of buildings look strange. The human and, and animal noises sound strange. The smoky scent of fire, foods, burning oil, and manure smell strange. The utter absence of electric lighting is strange. We reach for our smartphone. It's dead. Luke leads us beyond the village and down a dark, twisting, rocky path to some ignored, ignoble spot where we suddenly come upon a site we find surprisingly disturbing. Not ten feet away, asleep on the ground, near a small fire that has been that is burned down to embers, is a peasant girl. She has bits of straw in her long, messy, dark hair, and she's wrapped in dirty cloaks and a blanket. A split second, a split second look tells us how difficult this night has been for her. And she's so young. Even more distressing, we see beside her a small, crude, dirty feeding trough in which lies a sleeping newborn, wrapped tightly in unsanitary, blood-smeared cloth. We take a tentative, few tentative steps forward, and we know this child. We know this girl. But the scene is strange to us. It does not look like anything, anything like a manger scene illustrated in the books of our childhood. Our Advent traditions did not prepare us for the earthy realness of this real Advent. Mary is not serene. She is bone-weary. And no divine heavenly glow emanates from the child. He's not even especially beautiful. 
In fact, there's nothing about this child to suggest the unfathomable mystery of who he really is. We are unnerved to realize, had we not already known, we would not have recognized him at all. This scene, the real Christmas, has nothing of the feeling of the Christmases we know. It has all of the feel of undesired, desperate homelessness. More than a scene we'd find under, more like a scene we'd find under a bridge than under a, a Christmas tree. And we are hit with the shock of the truth we've known all our lives. This young girl just gave birth to a baby. The baby in a pasture. Our visceral response is pity and sadness. This poor girl and her baby. We know the story, but when we see it as it really is, it seems so wrong. Our impulse is to do something to help them. We look incredulously at Luke. He calmly looks from the child to us and quietly says, there was no place for them in the inn. No place? No place beside the, f- the field for the maker of the world? The cosmic incongruity stuns us. Surely we can find some place, somewhere, we respond. Can you? Luke replies. Then he turns and begins up the path. We look back at the girl and the child, just as a Palestinian darkness begins to swirl with the familiar light. Suddenly we find ourselves standing where Luke had found us. There are the Christmas lists, the half-trimmed tree, the holiday movie paused, the pans in the sink. The familiar stress of the bustling and bursting schedule of the Advent activities reawakens us. But seared in our minds is the pathetic picture of the holy, homeless mother and child. Bustling and bursting Bethlehem had no room for the advent of Jesus. And echoing in our ears are our own words. Surely we can find room somewhere. Can we? The real Christmas was nothing like the Christmases we've known. We've come to know, to know with its traditions and memories and legends, it was a desperate moment that occurred for a desperate reason. The word became flesh, so the word could, could become sin for us, condemned sinners, and die for us that we might be made righteous in him. He was born outside a village and died outside a city. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. As Advent season begins again, call that we call this to mind the only detail the Holy Spirit Luke inspired's writing, decided to provide with for us about the actual birth of Jesus. Mary had to lay him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's no less ironic that Jesus could stand on the periphery of our busy Advent activities than it was that he, the son of David, lay in a manger in a field on the periphery of the city of David. Therefore, as we enter Christmas celebrations, let every heart prepare him room. Surely we can find room somewhere. Indeed we can. Pam, thank you so much. Powerful message. John and Pam Bloomer in studio, Deep Thinker Thursday. We're going to continue some powerful stories. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. John and Pam Bloomer here with me in the studio. John, of course, the staff writer, co-founder of DesiringGod.org. You can head to DesiringGod.org and hear and see and read some of these stories that we're talking about today. So let's talk about Come Thou Unexpected Jesus. Yeah, so this, obviously the title of this meditation is a play on that song that Fernando Ortega was just singing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. And uh, this one is called Come Thou Unexpected Jesus, which is how we often encounter him. This Christmas, do not be surprised if you find yourself worshiping Jesus where you did not expect to find him. Often, when we expect to find him in the inn of festive holiday celebration, we find him instead in the stables of our suffering and sin. Jesus tends to show up where and when we least expect him. Apparently, his ways are not our ways. We see Jesus breaking unexpected, breaking expectations through scripture. Although the people expected the Messiah, the son of David, to appear in Bethlehem, they did not expect him to appear there as if by accident. Although they expected the birth of the king, they certainly didn't expect him to be born without dignity in a cave outside the city of David. Although they expected him to be hailed upon his arrival, they did not expect shepherds and pagan magicians to welcome him while the religious leaders, who knew the prophecies by heart, completely missed him. The Jews did not expect him to grow up in Galilee, especially not in Nazareth, nor did they expect him to grow up the son of a simple tradesman. When they went, when he went missing for three days as a child, not even his parents expected to find him discussing theology in the temple with rabbis. Years later, no one expected him to suddenly appear as an itinerant rabbi with a school of disciples comprised of fishermen, tax gatherers, and zealots. Nor did anyone expect him to confront the self-righteous, self-righteousness of pious Jews far more than the oppressive Roman occupiers. They certainly didn't expect to find him to find more faith in the centurion than in all the people of Israel. The, the immoral Samaritan woman never expected him to show up near her at the well at midday or to be the first recorded person to whom he declared himself as the Christ. The hopeless paralytic never expected him to come to the pool and heal him. The man born blind never expected to see him and discover that the Pharisees, for the life of them, could not. The widow of Nain never expected him to show up during the funeral procession and raise her son. Mary and Martha never expected him to not show up when Lazarus fell ill. No one expected the Messiah, the son of David, to be conceived, con, or be convicted of blasphemy by the council and executed without dignity by the Romans outside the other city of David. And no one expected him to actually rise from the dead three days later. All these things had been prophesied. Jesus was long expected. But when and how and where and why he came were all unexpected. We tend to fill our Christmases with all sorts of expectations. 
But the biblical pattern teaches us that Jesus is not particularly concerned with our expectations and may ignore them altogether because he's mainly concerned with our most desperate needs. We typically do not choose our most desperate places, the places of our fears and sins, as places to encounter and worship Jesus, but he does. He knows that these are the places that we most need the thrill of hope. This is why I expect to find Jesus in the sober celebrations of dear friends who, due to an aggressive cancer, may be sharing their last Christmas together. This is why I expect to find him at the hospital bedside of a precious little boy where his parents have kept faithful vigil since the traumatic brain injury three months ago. This is why I expect to find him in the heartbroken home of a pastor I love who broke his marriage vows and in the heartbroken church whose Christmas worship will be full of unexpected disappointment and tears. And this is why I expect to find him in the places of my own groaning, my sinful stumbling and persistent weaknesses, my perplexing questions and parenting quandaries that I'm not wise enough to think my way through. There's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasant holidays, but often it is not pleasant holidays that we need as much as we need profound hope. What we really need is hope that our devastating sins can be forgiven and that our shattered trust can be rebuilt and that our broken child's suffering isn't in vain and that though our bodies waste away, death will be swallowed up in victory and destroyed. Jesus came into the world at a desperate time in a desperate way. It wasn't the way people expected him to come. It wasn't for the reasons they expected him to come. He did not come to meet their expectations, but to love them in ways they most desperately needed. For Christ, Christmas is not about tradition, but salvation. It's not about expectations, but sanctification. Christmas is about love, earthly, gritty, sacrificial, even bloody love. When Jesus came, he did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was a love that no one expected, a love that exceeds all our expectations. And this is the way he comes to you this Christmas, to love you in ways you most need. That may, in fact, be why some of your expectations are not met. They aren't what you really need. So look for him in the unexpected place. It may be in the most desperate place, yours or another's. But know this, he will meet you in the place that will, if you trust him, cause his good news to eventually bring you to the greatest joy the place you are most likely to really adore him. Beautiful story. Beautiful. Beautifully read. Really nice. I love the litany of where I expect to find Jesus. That was really powerful. Mm. Mm. I expect to find him at the hospital bedside in the heartbroken home in the places of my own groaning, my sinful, stumbling, persistent weaknesses, perplexing questions, and parenting quandaries. You're laying it out there, you two. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's where we most need him is the places of our deepest need and and so it's you know we, we we often think Christmas is not supposed to be this way when things bad things happen or it's dark or it's depressing and you know it's supposed to be this wonderful season of of joy but when we look back at the original Christmas it was a desperate time I mean Jesus was born in a stable there was no room for him in the inn and as we're going to find out in this next story it was accompanied by slaughter uh, terrible things happened because the son of god was born into the world and uh, and so Jesus didn't come to make our holidays uh, the most wonderful time of the year. He came to meet us in our deepest need, in our deepest pain, to, to bring solution to our deepest problem, which is sin and alienation from God, so that someday we will know the kind of joy that we're hungering for, that, that Christmas foreshadows, the kind of the, the joy that we long for is foreshadowing something that's coming. Um, and we often don't find it in the holidays themselves. So it, it addresses our anxiety and our places of fear and can adjust our expectations that where we might be bent and, and given to thinking, what if, if this happens, therefore this, and it, it's going down a dark road. But as we name those dark situations, those perplexing things that things that we either experience or we're watching others experience, it, it is an opportunity for hope. Like what if this is exactly where Jesus wants to enter and show his love, his power, his he's Emmanuel, he's with us. A couple sentences that jumped off the page is this. And this is the way he comes to you this Christmas to love you in the ways you need most. That may in fact be why some of your expectations are not met. They aren't what you really need. That's strong. Because you are in a place where you need the Savior. You need your sins forgiven. You need to recognize that Jesus came for redemption to give you a new life. And if you want to jolly yourself with other things, your expectations and needs won't be met. Yeah, because those are not really the the needs that you They're not your desperate needs. Right. I like I like desperate needs. That's good. So we're going to tell another story, but we are going to go to break first. John and Pam Bloom are in studio, and you know they're regular guests. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday. Music is beautiful. The stories are wonderful. Let's just take 90 seconds and then return.
Welcome back. John and Pam Bloom are in studio and some powerful stories we're sharing today. And John, I think we're going to pick it up with um, another story at Des- from DesiringGod.org, something you wrote a couple years ago. This one I titled, When Darkness Falls at Christmas. And I know that the that these themes that we're covering today are are heavier themes, but this is this is real life, and uh, the real advent of the Son of God was not a peaceful moment. Uh, the whole the whole season it was a in many ways a desperate moment, and there was that terrible event that we history calls the slaughter of the innocents, which is when Herod sent his soldiers in and they. And they killed every child age two and under in Bethlehem to try to kill, to try to wipe out uh, his rival king who he understood was born there. And so this story is about that moment. And um, years ago, John Piper wrote a story that, that I've connected this one to. And so it's, it's called The Innkeeper. John's story is called The Innkeeper. And it's the story of... Jesus going back and visiting the old innkeeper just before he goes to the cross and he meets him. His name is Jacob in in the story that that John wrote. And he finds out that that night when Herod's soldiers came, Jacob lost his wife, Rachel, and his two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And he also lost his arm, his right arm, trying to stop the soldiers from killing his family. And and so I'm tying this story into that one and introducing a man named Lemuel, who is Jacob's brother-in-law. And Lemuel is a shepherd who was out in the fields that night um, when the angels came. And he was also out in the fields the night the soldiers came. And, uh, and so I've, ca- I've titled this When Darkness Falls. At Christmas. Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth was a, little, was a little town with a population of only about 300 people. Yet within a period of a few months, it saw the gloriously humble entrance of, the, of God the Son into the world, as well as the brutal deaths of baby boys at the command of Herod the Great, who tried to kill the Son. It's not unlikely that a few inhabitants witnessed both events firsthand. In the story that I'm about to recite, a man named Lemuel, a shepherd who witnessed the angels, visits his brother-in-law Jacob, the innkeeper who had provided the Holy Family, the only available place that he had at the time. Nine weeks have passed since the slaughter of the innocents, where Lemuel suffered the loss of his own boy Zabdi, And Jacob lost his wife, Rachel, his sons, Joseph and Benjamin, and most of his right arm. Both these men are trying to come to grips with the incomprehensible grace and grief they experienced when caught in the cosmic crossfire that ensued that first Christmas. How's the arm? asked Lemuel. Oh, The pain's getting better every day now, replied Jacob, holding out the bandaged stump of his right arm. 
The strangest thing is that sometimes I can feel my fingers, as if they're still there. Then he squeezed his eyes tight as he choked back a sob. It's like that with Rachel and the boys, too. Both men wept, as they often had over the past two months. When the convulsions of grief passed, Jacob said, Sometimes I can hear their voices. I find myself looking for them in the next room or out the window. Lemuel nodded, wiping his nose. I know. Me too. Lemuel had been out in the fields the day the soldiers came. And when the sound of women wailing reached his ears, he had come running, but it was too late. He found his wife Deborah on her knees outside their door, clutching their lifeless son to her breast and rocking in silent agony. Zabdi's blood had covered them both. He was only sixteen months old. Miriam walked in the room with water for the two friends. My sister, what a mercy from God, said Jacob. She's kept me alive and kept the inn in business these nine weeks. Fresh bandages for my arm, cool cloths for my fevered head, hot food for the guests, clean straw for the beasts, and who knows how many trips to the well. Miriam smiled. You can't count that high, she said. Can I get you anything? I should be asking you that, said Jacob. Oh, your time's coming, she said, leaving with the depleted fruit plate. How's Deborah? asked Jacob. Deborah was Lemuel's wife. That's hard to say, said Lemuel. She's still not talking much. I think she's doing about as well as anyone could whose baby and best friend were murdered on that same day. Your Rachel was my sister, but she was much closer to Deborah than to me. Yeah, and how are you doing? asked Jacob. Lemuel gently swished his water bowl in circles. It's hard to imagine this dark sadness ever lifting, he said. It's like a heavy blanket covering everything. Jacob nodded and said, But someday it will. The psalmist says light dawns in the darkness for the upright. This tapped into a deep well of frustration for Lemuel, and he blurted out, But why did the darkness come in the first place? Four months ago, I was so full of joy. The angel flooded us with light when he announced the Messiah had come, and then I saw him, the Messiah, in your stable. We danced together because of this good news of peace on earth. But two months later, darkness. We got violence, not peace. Zabdi and Rachel and Joseph and Benjamin, all killed by that devil Herod? Because he was trying to kill the Messiah? Why? Why? Why would God allow such wonderful light to be swallowed up by such horrible darkness? I don't know why that evil was allowed, replied Jacob. I'm no theologian. But I don't think God ever answers those kinds of why questions, at least not in the way that we want him to. Since Rachel and Joey and Ben died, Job has become my familiar friend. I've thought a lot about Job and his losses and grief. And when his pain raged, he asked lots of why questions too. And God didn't answer any of them. One thing's clear from Job's story, though. 
There was a lot more going on than Job could have understood, and that's been helping me. How much more true must that be about the Messiah's coming? What happened to our precious ones was evil. That was wrong. Just like what happened to Job was wrong. Satan afflicted him and killed his children. I think Satan killed ours too. But God wasn't out of control even when evil struck Job and he wasn't out of control when evil struck our families. Lemuel was quiet for a moment and then said, So God is in control, but that doesn't change the fact that your wife and our children are still dead. I know, said Jacob. As long as we live, we'll feel the pain of their deaths and their empty places, like missing limbs that are supposed to be there. But the reason this seems so dark to us now is because we don't yet understand why God allowed it. All the great stories of God's salvation in the Tanakh contain moments of terrible evil and darkness like this. Part of what makes them great is how God overcomes the darkness with light. His sovereign goodness is so powerful that the worst evil cannot overthrow it even though sometimes generations pass before God's victory becomes clear. But it's, it's just so sad that our dead will never know the Messiah's peace on earth, said Lemuel, tearing up again. You don't know that, said Jacob gently. You and I might not even live to see this peace in our lifetimes. It's why Job's hope has to be ours, he believed that he would see his Redeemer even after he had died. He believed in the resurrection, Lemuel. And that's our only hope, too. The angel said that the good news was for all the people. Didn't he? God's Messiah will overcome all the darkness for all his children for all time. All his saints will know the blessing of his peace. Rachel, Joey, Ben... And Zabdi, and everyone who didn't live to see it come. And that's the end of my story. But we too are also caught in the cosmic crossfire of Christmas. All of us today in the 21st century experience both joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, as Peter wrote about as well as burdens so great that we despair of life itself, as Paul wrote about. Both are beyond our powers to comprehend because there's so much more going on in reality than we can yet understand. When the deep darkness falls, it never seems like it's going to lift again. That's when we must pray for strength to comprehend what is beyond us and trust in the Lord's promise and not the way things appear to us. For this is what Christmas is all about. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, John 1.5. No matter how dark the current chapter, all our stories in this age will end in everlasting joy, in the omnipotent light that shone first in the little town of Bethlehem. Oh.
studio or something john wrote the thrilling joy of christmas and the hard realities of life are both beyond our powers to comprehend there's some wisdom there john yeah it's the bible the bible has both talks about both so in ephesians chapter 3 paul says that in one of his prayers, that he that he, um, he prays that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and length and and height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that means we've got to have the strength of God to, to even understand that that the nature of that kind of love to be able to see that kind of glory. It requires a strength, but there's also such depth of suffering and depravity and the bible is clear it doesn't like it it it, it paints it as it is and we, and we're just we're thrown this the slaughter of the innocents as an as an example of terrible wickedness and there's no explanation as to why god allowed it an angel was sent to joseph to warn him joseph fled to egypt but the angel wasn't sent to the other parents, right? We don't know how many children died. Uh, Bethlehem was not a big, big town. So a population of maybe 300 people, there could have been a dozen kids, maybe up to 20, historians think, which is why it doesn't show up on anybody, on any his, historian's radar of, from that day. It was, it was a small thing in the, in the scope of, of, of everything, but it wasn't a small thing for the, those who lived in Bethlehem. Oh. And uh, and God doesn't tell us why. Um, those parents didn't know why. Um, and that's how a lot of us experience tragedy. We don't know why. What we are given is the promises of hope and the promises of redemption and the promises of resurrection and the promises of justice. That there will be no... There will be no um, unkept record. No injustice will be swept under the rug of the universe. God, the whole reason Jesus, you know, Jesus was spared the, the, the slaughter of the innocents. He was not spared slaughter. He came to bear the sins of the world. It was not his time. 
But when a time came, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Romans 8. There is certainly a lot of listeners in their own dark chapter of life, and everything seems bigger around the holidays. Problems seem bigger than normal, don't they? Well, absences are more keen. Mm -hmm. People who you, beloved ones who are not there, Mm -hmm. uh, their, their absence is pronounced. And pain is pronounced. Yeah. Because... Because it represents joy, even for those who don't even understand why or don't believe in the in the historical reason for you know Jesus coming, it's supposed to be a time of joy, and what and when there isn't joy, we know something's wrong. It's out of place. This shouldn't be this way, and that's the whole reason Jesus came. It shouldn't be this way. So I was reading this week in Isaiah nine, and it's prophecy of Jesus coming, but in in looking back at it, even as we're talking now, it starts in verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And where we're anticipating, like, oh, I know what that light is. But, like, the darkness was real, and it wasn't just a descriptive word. It had real stories like you just told and and like we live now there the darkness is trauma it's loss it's pain and and then in it we're looking for like where's the hope where where's the light and what will that look like and what are our expectations and we go on to the the promises of and the, the prophecy that didn't make sense at the time like okay this is really dark and and what what is this child and what's that going to look like? Um, and it, it goes on in verse 7, the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And may that that peace grow and may, us, may our faith grow where it looks like, well, how could that happen? What does peace look like in this situation? It's really dark. It's chaotic. It's not peaceful. And we're holding on and, and bringing these back to God like you said. Will you show that in reality? Bring the justice and the righteousness. And it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And what we have to remember, because I would imagine there's quite a few people who are listening and going, I have not seen anything like this. They feel like Lemuel did in the story that I just read. <laughs> okay. So we have these promises. It doesn't bring the people back. It doesn't right the wrong. It doesn't undo the abuse. And and they're right. It doesn't undo them yet. We live in the already and not yet time between Jesus' comings. And there's a lot of things that don't look like they're going right, which Jesus said would happen. And our, and our lives are short. They're brief. And, uh, and we might not, like, like, like Jacob said to Lemuel, we might not live to see what it is that we long to see, but we have the promises. And, and so, I mean, 
That's what we need to help each other. We need to walk with each other and help each other keep hoping. Because, tar- because the darkness can be very dark. And Jesus came as the light of the world. And the darkness has not yet and will not overcome the light. One of my many smarter than, smarter than average listeners said, uh, just sent a message saying, Fallen world, we know why, because of Herod and his fear of being replaced. I guess you could say God doesn't stop bad things from happening all the time. That humans want to do punishment is eternity. Because, you know, just that story of, of the soldiers killing these babies, it's, it, it's so horrific. I, you know, you read it, but you want to, my mind wants to get away from that as fast as I can. Yes. I can't. Li- I can't dwell very. I can't stay there very long because the true reality of soldiers bursting into a house, ripping a child out of a mother's arms, and killing it, killing that 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 young baby. Did they do it in front of the parents? Did they take it outside? I mean, what happened? Of course, we don't know, and I don't want to know. But it's it was traumatic and brutal. Traumatic and brutal. Yes. Yeah, I can't stay there very long. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I sure love having you guys come in, and this has been powerful. These stories are just wonderful. I can't wait to go back and listen to them again. Um, what are some reflections on the year that you're, now that we're sitting close to the year coming to an end? One of the most uh, searched verses was Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in 2019. From around the world, people want to not worry. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came to bring peace, and the peace that we have right now largely rests in the promises that he has made, not in the fact that we have peace on earth that we see. We, we, we look around the world and we say, well, there's not a lot of peace Um, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace that he gives um, comes through trusting him, not through external circumstances right now. Um, Because Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's right at the end of John chapter 16. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, we, we carry our own burdens, in these days, we know some of our own personal darkness, and we are walking with friends who are walking through some really extraordinarily difficult things. Mm-hmm. I don't read these stories lightly with, with some kind of a, you know, trite optimism. Um, the suffering is real. Mm-hmm. Would one of you uh, close us in prayer for those who might, uh, whose expectations uh, might be shattered this season? Sure. You guys want to do rock, sure. paper, scissors, or do you want to just... Um, Pam, why don't you close okay. it? Okay. Lord, would you, would you take what we've just spoken and heard and interpret it to our situations, to our hearts, and would you adjust our expectations... Help us to be honest where we can tell you, this is not what I expected. 
and I'm disappointed. And then would you raise our expectations like you raised Jesus from the dead? Do a miraculous work in all of our hearts and minds and then help help us turn and do that for others to raise expectations. Would you replace lies with truth and give us more faith in the promises that we read, that they wouldn't be familiar and old, but they'd be fresh, new and real, and they would be a firm ground under our feet. Give hope and thank you that you are with us. Our deliverer has come. Thank you so much, John and Pam Bloom. Go to DesiringGod.org. All these stories that they shared are there. Have a great night, everyone. I cannot wait to be with you tomorrow. Have a um, God bless you tonight, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.